This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, November 11th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Wealth inequality is a hot topic for Democrats running for president, with some candidates claiming that wealth inequality harms not just social cohesion, but the republic itself. Chris Edwards and Ryan Bourne are authors of the new Cato paper, Exploring Wealth Inequality. It's available now at Cato.org. Well, I think politically what's going on is that, you know, the economy is in the 11th year of economic expansion. Unemployment is really low. And, you know, the economy is, is continues to be fairly strong with lots of job opportunities. So I think Democrats, they've been trying to make a big issue of income and wealth inequality um, for want of a better way to atta- attack the current administration on economic policy. So our new study looks at wealth inequality, which we found is quite a different thing than income inequality equality. They're both measured in different ways, um, and they mean different things. And I think with wealth inequality, our overarching conclusion is that wealth inequality may have risen somewhat in the United States in recent decades, but it's actually a meaningless metric from the perspective of public policy. Wealth inequality, the thing that matters, is not the level of it. It is the cause. Wealth inequality can be caused by cronyism, you know, uh, insiders and businesses getting special deals from the government. It can be caused by capitalism in, a, you know, in the best of ways and uh, by free market dynamism and entrepreneurs like Jeff Bezos getting wealthy because they're bringing innovations that benefit all of us. Uh, or it can be caused uh, by what we call uh, crowding out or displacement. The, as the welfare state gets bigger, it displaces private uh, wealth uh, building by the middle class, which causes inequality. So the important thing is the cause of inequality. It's not particularly uh, the, the, the level and the, and, the, and the measurement, which is what the left-wing politicians complain about. Now, well, I can I can follow on from that. Um, so, a good example of this is if you look across countries. Actually, so there are three countries that we might consider have very similar, uh, relatively high levels of wealth inequality. The United States, which most people consider a fairly capitalistic um, economy, notwithstanding some aspects of cronyism that we touch on in our paper. Countries like. Um, Russia and Kazakhstan have very high levels of wealth inequality too. Now, they're much more uh, explicitly cronyist in their kind of policy approach. And then countries like Denmark and Sweden have extraordinarily high uh, levels of wealth inequality too. And as Chris alluded to, there are different reasons for these across different countries. So in Denmark, for example, high levels of wealth inequality are reflective of the fact that there's huge, expansive welfare states. Now, what does that mean? Well, if the government is providing uh, generous income in retirement, generous healthcare and the like, then uh, uh, funded through broad-based taxes quite often, then middle-class people not only have little incentive to save significant amounts to cover those eventualities, but also as a result of paying more in the way of uh, social in- insurance taxes have less money left over to save in the first place. Couple that with the fact that um, uh, usually these types of benefits, government benefits, are non-heritable, so you don't even get the sometimes the kind of windfall further down the the, the wealth scale of uh, of inheritance. Combine all those factors together. And actually, big government programs in many countries actually exacerbate measured private wealth inequality. So you have this peculiar um, 
scenario where Piketty says, Zuckman and others, look at measured private wealth inequality, and they say there's a huge problem here. And one of the things that we might do about that problem is to redistribute significant amounts through an expanded welfare state, when actually um, a big welfare state can be a contributing factor to high measured private wealth inequality in the first place. So in our paper, what we say is, uh, you know, we can reduce wealth inequality by going after these negative causes of it, cronyism for one, and this displacement or crowding out caused by the welfare state. Those are sort of the bad causes of wealth inequality. But we think the main thing that that generates wealth inequality in the economy is uh, the uh, innovation and dynamism Silicon Valley, um, high-tech firms um, generating wealth and individual entrepreneurs getting wealthy, but at the same time, they are raising all boats in the economy. There was recently a a good example of this. Uh, The Wall Street Journal did an article on the Aldi grocery chain, uh, the German grocery chain that's spreading across the United States. The owner of this uh, grocery chain uh, is one of the wealthiest families in the world. They're a German uh, family. Uh, they're worth something like $36 billion. But the, that wealth was generated by this company slashing prices for the poor and middle class consumers, to, uh, tens of millions of them across uh, Europe and United States. So if wealth is being generated by innovation uh, and um, new products and uh, by entrepreneurs who are slashing prices, you know, who cares about it? They, you know, we, we want the freedom of entrepreneurs to create new things and uh, to have the incentive to do so. And uh, that sort of innovation is raising all boats in the economy. So it's not a problem at all. And I think another good example of that, a recent example, is uh, Brian Acton and Jan Combe, uh, the creators of WhatsApp. Now, WhatsApp currently provides a free phone service for, I believe, around 1.5 billion users globally. And as a result of that, those two individuals have become extraordinarily rich. They've got combined fortunes, it's estimated, of around $15 billion. So their success may have widened measured wealth inequality, but they've only been able to get rich as a result of creating vast value for consumers, often very poor consumers, all around the world by re- reducing communication costs on on smartphones. So that's another, and you see this again and again. And I think that um, one of the one of the mis- big mistakes that progressive politicians are making in in talking about wealth is almost instinctively they discuss it as if all top wealth and all bits billionaires and super wealthy people. Uh, have only got that rich as a result in part of cronyism or benefiting from some sort of government monopoly privileges, perhaps IP laws and and, and the like, um, or they have negative impacts. They 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 suggest that these wealthy individuals have negative negative impacts on things like politics. Um, now, as a result of that, they advocate for wealth taxes and and other mechanisms to try to reduce that that top wealth. But of course, if you're um, imposing taxes on all wealthy people, irrespective of trying to uh, delineate between these different effects, then yes, you may deter some of the cronyist activity on the margin, but you're also going to deter some of the innovation that leads to this broad-braced uh, prosperity at the same time. 
Yeah, another false narrative, I must say, you hear it coming out of some of the left-wing politicians like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, as well as columnists like Paul Krugman, is the idea that most of uh, the individuals with top wealth in the United States have inherited wealth. You know, they didn't deserve it. It's just inherited money. They just sit back and enjoy this uh, this uh, bond interest flowing into their uh, accounts. Uh, that That is getting less and less true all the time. In the last few decades, there's we have pretty good data on this. The share of uh, the wealthiest Am- Americans uh, who, who got their wealth from inheritance has plunged from around 70% uh, a few decades ago to just 40% today. The great majority of the wealthiest Americans today are self-made business people, men and women, entrepreneurs, uh, who have become very wealthy, uh, often in places like Silicon Valley, by creating innovations that benefit all of us and are raising all boats. That is the main story of the U.S. economy today. We want to get rid of the cronyism. We think the welfare state is too big and is causing problems. But the main story of the U.S. economy uh, with respect to the wealthy is a good one. People are getting wealthy because they're generating economic advances that benefit all of us. There is a claim that people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren make with respect to uh, the disparity in wealth in the United States. And they argue that uh, our political system, uh, our republic, our democratic political system would be or is being undermined by extreme disparities in wealth. Uh, And they say that this is not sustainable. And they point to some historical precedents for that. Ryan? Well, there's no clear evidence. People do make this claim, but there's no clear evidence that wealth uh, inequality is undermining democracy in the US at the moment. Um, First of all, the wealthy don't have homogenous political views. We can see this most obviously when we consider some of the major donors to political parties. You know, traditionally, um, you've got Charles Koch and and Sheldon Adelson donating to conservative and libertarian candidates on the one hand, and you've got uh, George Soros and others donating to uh, progressive candidates on the other. There's not much class consciousness there in terms of their political viewpoints. And that's reflected amongst um, that lack of homogeneity is reflected amongst um, wealthy individuals generally. It is true that wealthy people on average do have some views that, that differ from the rest of the population. But even there, there's not much evidence that their preferences are be, uh, dominating uh, legislative outcomes at the moment. Yes, uh, wealthier people on average tend to be more in favor of tax cuts, for example, and we had a major uh, tax cut and reform, of course. Uh, But then at the same time, wealthier people also tend to be more concerned about budget deficits. They tend to be uh, more in favor of free trade and they tend to be more liberal in their social attitudes on on, uh, issues passing through the courts. And on all of those issues, one could argue that things have moved away from their viewpoints significantly, particularly since President Trump was elected. Look, of course, it's true. And it has always been true that the wealthy um, help fund campaigns and lobby groups and are more involved in politics than um, average uh, members households in the population but actually most of the studies and, and evidence indicate it's not that easy to buy elections and also that being super wealthy is not likely on the margin to have a much bigger impact on politics than being wealthy the amount of wealth that you need to donate and be a major donor to a political party is not particularly high relative to the wealth of of, of uh billionaires so even if you were to take uh through 
a, a very targeted tax significant amounts away. It's unclear that you would even have any impact on how that uh, individual would contribute uh, in terms of political donations. So, you know, the evidence for this isn't really there. And and actually, a, a kind of good point to end on in this is that the American public doesn't think it's there either. A 2019 study um, and poll by Cato uh, with, with YouGov found that 62% of Americans don't believe that billionaires are a threat to democracy. So, so far, at least, the American public is not buying into this uh, viewpoint that the super wealthy are distorting politics to their own end. Uh, remains to be seen how this will play out in the campaign, but that's something that um, we should be thankful for at the moment, I think. I, I think one of the things that's going on politically is that it's hard for the, the left to make an argument to the American people that uh, billionaires are bad for the economy. Because when people think of billionaires, they think of people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, who've obviously added a lot to the economy, or Steve Jobs, uh, and folks like that, you know, wealthy entrepreneurs. So what the political left has done instead is they said, they said okay, it's hard to make an argument that, that billionaires are bad for the economy. We're going to make an argument that billionaires are bad for our political system. And you, I, in looking into the, uh, you know, reading up on the subject the last few months, I've been amazed at how many times the left has been making this argument that the billionaires are somehow undermining our uh, democracy. But as Ryan summarized, the political science literature does not support their contentions that uh, that wealthy people have a distortive effect on on political outcomes or legislative outcomes. It's really it, it's pretty interesting. So I think it's it's there's a um, a, a bit of a false narrative going on here with uh, the left's arguments about the effect of billionaires on politics. Ryan Bourne and Chris Edwards are authors of the new Cato paper, Exploring Wealth Inequality, available at Cato.org. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.